Okay, here's the gist. I'm a gay guy who's been living in New York City for the past three decades. I got shit to talk about. I also have awesome friends who also have a lot of shit to talk about. That's what this podcast is about. Way off the record. People that you never hear from, that you need to hear from. Because trust me, girl, you need this fabulous in your life. Welcome to Way Off the Record. Tonight, I am talking with my friend and neighbor, Carol. Carol, how are you? I'm great. How are you tonight? I'm great. I'm very excited about this. Carol and I are literal neighbors. We share actual walls in our apartment here in upstate Manhattan <laughs> in the neighborhood called Inwood. And um, we've known each other for a number of years. When did you move into the building? I think it was uh, around November of 2014. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. Yeah. So... Yeah, so a good five years. Yeah. That, yeah. That's amazing. We've I've... been taking each other's packages in. <laughs> <laughs> We're like, oh package We're... for Scott. <laughs> We're, each... We're each other's concierge. Yes, exactly. It's not that kind of building girl. It's, you know, it's <laughs> it's a little bit uh, rough around the edges. But it's a beautiful building. I love this place. I love our neighborhood. We have lots of green. It's very beautiful beautiful and the apartments you know by and large are much bigger than you would get anywhere else in manhattan um and it's cheaper um so talk to me about carol your you are a native new yorker yes native native exactly i was gonna do that but i couldn't quite find the 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 key well don't worry i'll ruin it for you (laughs) because i don't have the key either um but yeah, I actually grew up in this neighborhood. You know, I was born and raised for, I think I lived three, mo- three months in Washington Heights on Pinehurst. And, oh, I love Pinehurst. And then mm. we moved right here to, you know, Inwood. And I grew up here and, you know, spent the wonder years, ages one through 12 here. Were you at the 600 West 218th no. apartment? No, I was... Um, in the middle of 214th and 215th. Okay. In between Seaman and Indian Road. Oh. There's a middle, yeah. It's a beautiful block. I have yeah. friends that And we, view, we had our living room face the uh, park, and oh. we had a tree in front. So we have movie pictures of when the squirrels had babies. Squirrels, not an easy word to say. Squirrels. <laughs> when the squirrels had babies. I totally you know. appreciate that. Do you have, do you have like... um? Super 8 videos or something oh, yeah. of that. I would love to see that. If you Do you have those? They're on your... CDs, actually. Well, that's even better. Maybe yeah. you can add that to the show notes. Oh, that sure. That would be amazing, because I've not even seen that. That would be fantastic. I, You know, so what was? I'm curious to know what it was like in this neighborhood. I hear it was quite sketchy in the 70s and 80s. Well, this was the 60s. Oh, the 60s, right. Yeah. So, so what was it like um, then? It was very Jewish and Irish. My mm-hmm. f- one of my favorite memories is of Christmas because the building across from my bedroom was primarily Irish, and at Christmas time they had all the lights on the windows, oh. the Christmas lights. So I would go to sleep and I could look out the window and see all the lights. So I'm a big fan of traveling around the suburbs, you know, looking for the best, <laughs> <and> <laughs> no, gorgeous Christmas yeah. decorations. Me too. Me too. So um, 
Yeah, it was very Jewish and Irish, and um, there was a lot of uh, tense times between the kids that went to Good Shepherd and the other kids. As a matter of fact, I got beat up once up in Park Terrace um, by girls that went to Good Shepherd, and um, it was because I was wearing pants on their Lord's Day on a Sunday. What? Yeah. Wait, so they're... Irish against Irish or no Irish against Jewish. Oh, oh yeah, my gosh. yeah, and and Irish against the kids that went to PS ninety eight. Wow, you know because it was like Good Shepherd, and you know against anybody that didn't go to Good Shepherd. That's that looks that sounds like a documentary I'm uh, making right in there. itself. <laughs> Seriously, I mean I. So all right, so. Um, you grew up in this uh, neighborhood. Did you ever move out of New York City, or have you always been here? No, we moved to um, New Jersey. I, I mean, for sixth grade, mm-hmm. I went to a private school up on Fort Washington Avenue for a year, and then we moved out to um, Bergen County, New Jersey. Oh, nice. Oh, it was nice. beautiful. You know, we put a pool in the backyard. We got a dog. You know, I found out my father really wasn't allergic to dogs. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. so it was fine. It was nice. And, and when did you move back to the city? After college. After college. Yeah. yeah. Cool. And uh, I lived on 86th Street between Columbus and Central Park. And that was pretty sketchy oh, when I moved really? there. Oh, really? my God. There were some restaurants around 73rd, 74th Street. Mm-hmm. And then there was nothing from like 75th Street north to 86th Street. Mm. It was, and Amsterdam had nothing. They had, um, I think, there was a great bakery on the corner of 86th and Amsterdam, and there were some um, antique shops, and that was it. There was a Latin Hispanic club um, that later turned into a Mexican restaurant named Lucy's on Columbus Avenue. Oh, okay. And But, I mean, that was it. When I would walk home, you know, after a night out with friends, I would pass the guys sitting outside drinking and smoking, you know, outside that little this little uh, hispanic club that was it that's so wow but and what year about is this that was about 1981 oh okay yeah well so i moved here in 88 oh okay 1988 from upstate new york you know to to this neighborhood no um (laughs) oh girl i have a storied past um (laughs) so so basically i met my ex 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 boyfriend at a party in Albany and I had been itching I was like living in at the, I'm from upstate New York but I was you know also living further upstate New York in Glens Falls oh I know uh, where York. that is family there and, and stuff um not not loving it you know I mean it was all right um and any chance, like any opportunity to move to the city, which I had always wanted to do, I took. And so I met this guy, <clears throat> Donald, and we were together for a couple of years. And so I moved. At first, I moved to with him to his mother's place on Long Island, which was challenging uh, for lots of reasons. So I was there for about a year, and then we moved, the two of us moved out to uh, Park Slope, Brooklyn. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Bet you wish you had that apartment now. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
It was amazing, actually. We redid the whole backyard. We were in the ground, uh, wow. garden level. <clears throat> and the people who owned the place, Roberta and Jacob, I think, uh, were the owners of the building. They were lovely. Um, lived in the, you know, second, third, fourth floors or whatever. So we lived, uh, Donald and I, in this apartment in Brooklyn for a couple of years. We redid the ground floor, the, the garden. Um, it was beautiful. And then we broke up and I couldn't afford the place on my own. So I just left. And uh, then I moved to the West Village and then to the East Village and then to Inwood in 1987. Wow. So I've been in this apartment that we're sitting in recording this podcast for 24 years. Wow. Like the same apartment, which is kind of astonishing. That's amazing. So yay. I love it here though. I do. I mean, I think it's an amazing when, you know, I moved from here, moved here from the East village and thinking that like, Oh my God, because my boyfriend at the time was living up here and I, and I would come to visit him and I would hem and haw every time I had to take the train and, Mm -hmm. you know, spend an hour on the train to get up here and I couldn't imagine myself living here. But then once I moved here, I didn't realize how much I had missed green, Mm -hmm. you know, trees and Mm -hmm. grass and stuff, which we have an abundance here. It's very much like where I uh, grew up. So it was a good transition. Well, when I was a kid, you know, we would go outside and we'd be outside from... You know, daybreak till the street lights Me came too. on, Me literally. Too. Yeah. And, you know, ma, ma, you know, and she'd throw down money or lower down a basket with a sweater. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was ridiculous. You never went home. And there was a whole group of us, all the kids from the neighborhood, just would congregate in the park. Oh, and then the parents also in the summer would sit on lounge chairs all in the park here, you know, like on Indian Road. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, that was the hill that we used to sleigh ride down. That little nothing of a hill was, like, so big to me. <laughs> yeah. Ridiculous. Oh, I'd love to see pictures of that time, if you have I any. have, I have. You can add them to the, with, to the show With notes. the big C and, you know, yeah, all yeah, that stuff, yeah. yeah. And I had friends that lived in the 600 building, and the Indian Road Cafe used to be Murray's, which was a little deli, you know, grocery store. Oh, interesting. And all of us, you know, I mean, he knew everybody in the neighborhood. You know, yeah. you'd go in and get your parents a pack of cigarettes. You know, <laughs> you'd go down there to get whatever. You're like 10 and you're getting, yeah, buying getting cigarettes. Well, I did have my first cigarettes when I was 10. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. With my friend <laughs> Debbie, we hung out the window. Because, you know, the parents had them in little glass jars, on the tables, you know, on the living room table because it was a very social thing to smoke. So when the parents were away, we would take the cigarettes and we'd lean out the window and smoke them, you know. So, yeah, it was ridiculous. That sounds so Mad Men, which, by the way, uh, this is going to be a transition to the next question that I have for you. We're going to take a quick break and be right back. Okay, so I'm dying to talk to you about your first career um, in advertising. Right. 
I, I graduated from Syracuse uh, with a Bachelor of Fine Arts in Advertising Design. And nice. <clears throat> yeah, I was, took me about nine months to get a job. My other friends had gotten jobs, but I finally got a job with a woman who um, was an amazing boss. She was the best boss I ever had mm. to this day. And um, she, I was getting paid, I think, $15,000 for the year. And most of my friends were getting paid 12 or nine. Uh So it was like I was really making the bucks. (laughs) And she also had me open up my own little design studio. So I would take the work home and I would do the pay stubs at home and bill. So I had a good amount of cash you know so is that like sort of second income from the yeah, actual job right wow that's amazing she did she had me do this i mean she took me into the city because uh, at the time i was living in new jersey mm-hmm. and she took me down to fifth avenue and ninth street and we looked at a studio apartment in a building mm. and she put down on paper what i would have to put down and what I'd have to pay each month and blah, blah, blah. She figured the whole thing out for me and told me I should talk to my father, who was an accountant. Uh-huh. And I went home and I talked to him and he said, girls don't buy apartments in New York City. Oh, this is to buy. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, this was in 1979. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you bought an apartment? Oh, no, no, no. Oh, That's no, just no. one of the regrets of life I oh, have. No. Oh, I know, no. Oh, no, no. I listened to my father. Oh, I was a good fuck. Jewish girl, oh, you know? No. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember what the dollar figures were like to, to no. put down and what the no. cost was? That I, I remember the, the apartment building. I don't remember the number, but I remember the apartment building. And it was a floor. I mean, it was the first floor. So... But I, I remember it was a big studio apartment, and she was so ahead of her time, you know? She mm-hmm. built lofts in her, in her building, in her apartment, I mean, and she was so into making money and, and buying things, you know, like apartments and yeah. stuff. And she was great to work for because, I, I mean, she, the place was in Connecticut, so I used to left lane it on I-95, from New oh. Jersey to oh, wow. Connecticut for like a year, and then the company went bankrupt. Oh, no. But, oh, yeah, please. <laughs> so I was out of work for a year. I did freelance, and then I got a great job at uh, Backer and Spielvogel, which was a really hot agency at the time. Wow. And um, I worked there for about three years, and that was great. You know, they had the Miller Brewing Company account, so it was light beer. Oh. And it was um, high life. Uh, uh-huh. Miller High Life right. and uh, Lowenbrow. Oh, so wow. they used to, in the winter, they would put out a memo, um, Palm Tree and Frame One, and everybody in the agency could present a commercial with a palm tree in the first frame because it was to get people to drink beer in the winter, <laughs> right? So it's going to be shot in the, in the um, you know, south somewhere. Oh, wow. Or overseas, yeah. So I got my first commercial shot down in the Cayman Islands in, you know, like 1980. Oh, and my God. I went scuba diving because it was underwater. 
And you were you the art director at this yeah, point? So yeah. you got to sort of control I, the whole thing and Well, I was so young that, you know, they they had seasoned people there that really um, you know, the producer really ran the whole thing. But yeah. yeah, I mean, I got to choose the clothing that they wore and, you know, the framing and things like that. Yeah. That. So that was my first commercial. And it ran during some football game. And I remember I rented out a bar on the Upper East Side. <laughs> Good and for I you. invited a whole bunch of friends and family to come and watch the football game and watch my commercial. That's amazing. <laughs> so this was much obviously much later than like Mad Men, you know, like oh, yeah. 50s, 60s. But I'm assuming there was still some holdover from oh, that God, time. yes. They called me Boom Boom. <laughs> oh, Boom Boom's because here. We can start. Yeah, because we can start the meeting. <laughs> Boom Boom's here. They were so sexist. It was oh. unbelievable. You know, but they would. we would have parties all the time. Yeah. You know, everybody got together and we'd all go out and drink and... You know, I mean, lunches were liquid lunches. It was still, you know, quite a bit of the Mad Men era. Yeah. But, um, and, um, yeah, it was very exciting. You know, it really was. Were people, like, drinking in the office? Oh, yeah. Oh, Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. I know that there's a lot of bad stuff about that whole time, especially for women. But, you know, I don't know. I'd love to have a bottle of bourbon in my office and just sort of when things get really stressed and just have some, of course, I mean, that probably turned into um, not such good times with certain people in the office, but I'm a romantic and I can't help it. (laughs) Um, So then you said you worked there for three years and then then i went to another agency and um then i went i went to the bloom agency and actually i worked on some stuff for haagen when they were first coming out with their mixed flavors so what kind of that was an ad agency right okay so this is yeah this was an ad agency it was a small little boutique ad agency Mm -hmm. and then from there i went to gray Great mm. advertising. Yeah. Oh, and that, that was, again, you know, working with the big boys, you know? Yeah. And um, the worst night was I, I I was working on something. And you know when you're an art director, time doesn't matter. You know, you have to get the job done. Mm-hmm. And this was before anything with computers. So just going to ask you that. Oh, yeah. You had to get the, the little TV frames drawn. Yeah. And either you had to do them or you had to hire out and have somebody do them. Yeah. Um, the ads had to be mocked up, yeah. you know, and you were responsible for it. So you had to wait till the the bullpen, you know, had it put together or whatever. Or you had to wait for the type to come back from the <laughs> typographer, say, right, you know. Right. And you had to put it all together. I worked wow. with this guy who was um, a coke fiend. You know, he was a writer. And he would you know you thought he was taking notes during the meetings and he was doing the crossword puzzle so it was like oh, we'd no. get together afterward and i'm like you didn't get anything from that meeting <laughs> like, no but we did some good work you know uh we did and we worked on um mitsubishi oh wow um cool one of uh, the eclipse and our commercial got bought but because of the way the place ran my supervisor was, you know, an art director over me. 
mm-hmm. and he said that we should rework the commercial because there should be more things going on. So instead of letting me rework it, he just reworked it. Mm. So it then became his commercial. Oh. Yeah, it was a little bit of a bummer. Fuck him. Yeah, it that's... was. A li- but that's the way things went there. You know, that's the way things went. And then, so, that sucks. So then, what happened to make you switch careers? Um, it was the end of the 80s. And, you know, Reaganomics and like my whole department got canned. So I lost my job and, you know, I started freelancing at other agencies. But what wound up happening was within the year, more and more people started losing their jobs. So there were so many people looking for work that your connections got smaller because right. they, you know, either took other people or whatever. So um, I had to reinvent myself each week, which was great. You know, I'd get up, go for a run in the park because I was a half a block from Central Park, from mm. the reservoir. And then, you know, come back, have coffee, look through the New York Times, the ads, because, again, there was no LinkedIn. Oh, right. <laughs> of course, of course. And, you know, then I would call and you know, try to get interviews and things like that. But um, it was each week, you know, I, I did something different. I met people all over. I met some woman in like a Smiley's or some sort of deli type place. Mm-hmm. And she was from Brazil. And with oh. my broken French and Spanish, mm-hmm. we communicated. And she needed to get to the garment district. And she wanted to buy lace and buttons to bring back to Brazil. Oh, wow. So I said, I can do that. So I would take her around, you know, to the showrooms. And sometimes the people in the showroom would give you a cut of whatever they bought. And, you know, it was, I mean, it was fun for me, you know. And, you know, I worked in the, it wasn't even the Javits Center, I don't think at that time. But, you know, I met people wherever and I just would do whatever I worked, you know, at their concession stand or something. Yeah, it was yeah. the first time I ever worked in a restaurant. I was a hostess. I'd never <laughs> worked in a restaurant, you know? So when when you said smileys, I immediately pictured the marquee outside. It's, it was on Broadway, right? Mm-hmm. Like in the in Midtown? Right, near something? like where Ellen Stardust yeah, is yeah, now. Yeah. <laughs> I can see the the, the curvy lyric in my head. <laughs> All right, so... Um, so, yeah, I lost the job, and I had to find something else. And my mother said, why don't you get into medicine? You know, she probably thought I'd meet a nice doctor. <laughs> so... <laughs> really? Of course. That's the only reason. Of course. <laughs> so I went to a career counselor who presented a bunch of different jobs to me. Mm. And this was one that didn't involve a lot of blood or guts and they said you know you can use your visual references from your past career looking at the images that i need to to be a radiation therapist that's interesting yeah so that's what i did i went to memorial sloan kettering for two years and i used up all the money i'd saved (laughs) and um i worked on the weekends in a toy store in the neighborhood and I was amazed that I could learn 
physics and things like that because my whole life I always thought I was math stupid. Interesting. You know? It depends on the teacher, I think, right? Yeah, and it just depends on you yourself, you know, and your exactly. surroundings, you know. So I learned enough to pass the national test. Ooh. And I probably wouldn't pass it now if I had to sit for it again. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's... Uh, so how long have you been doing this? And what do you do, by the way? Okay, so I'm a radiation therapist. Okay. And I've been doing it since 1994. Wow. And um, it is basically when a patient... M- mainly it's cancer patients. That's what I was wondering. Right. Yeah. Sometimes there's a few situations where they're not cancer patients, but mainly cancer patients. So a doctor will write a prescription um, for the radiation. A patient can either have radiation, chemotherapy, which is chemicals, Mm -hmm. drugs, um, surgery, or nothing, or Mm. any combination of those three. Uh So the radiation therapy is something that you really don't hurt people with. Because you're just laying them on a hard table. Right. And they just kind of have to stay still. And you move them around. You line them up to these little marks that are put on them, little tattoos. And Mm. there are laser lights that come out of the room. So in every room, they're at the same level. Uh Uh-huh. So you just line the people up. So if they're tilted one way, you have to tilt them the other way so that, you know, they're just even with all those lines. And you, I'm, I'm assuming you walk out of the room. Oh, yes, you have you, to. Yes. Yeah. I, because you know. it's like turning the light on. You, right, it, it, right. You're not, a, the people themselves are not radioactive and there's no live radiation source. So, you know, um, that's why it's not really dangerous. You wear a monitor and it goes in every month and they check it. But, you know, there are lead doors and the walls are made out of lead. Wow, so, right, right. Yeah. But it was it was something that I could do where I wouldn't, you know, hurt people. I wouldn't cause them pain. That's a lovely way to look at it. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's great. So, was it was it a hard transition from? Yeah, I'll never forget. <laughs> I mean, I was at MSK and I was working as an aide there before I got into the school. What is MSK? Sorry. Memorial Sloan Kettering. Oh, oh, of course. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. No, that's okay. Yeah. And um, I was working as an aide, and I remember you, this big guy came down in a wheelchair, and he was sweating profusely. He had just broken, you know, a fever, mm. and he was a patient, and I was, you know, responsible for making sure the rooms had enough, you know, sheets and whatever else they needed. Mm-hmm. So... I saw him and I'm talking to him, you know, in the inpatient waiting area. And as I'm speaking to him, he has a bandage around his neck. And as I'm speaking to him, you know, he's sweating and I'm going and I'm getting him something to wipe himself with. And the bandage flips down and he has a hole in his throat where this trach was. And I'm now looking at this man's throat into his body. And that was the first time I was like, can we get special effects over here, please? Because there's something going on here that's not right. 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 You know, because all of a sudden I flipped back to being an art director. Can we get the makeup girl here, please? Oh, my God. It was the most bizarre looking thing to me. It didn't look real. Well, I'm glad you had that reaction versus like, if it were me, I would probably vomit and pass out. (laughs) 
I don't think I could handle that. I mean, you know? I was like shocked. I mean, I hope to God my eyes didn't bug out of my head because oh. it would have been a horrible thing. But unfortunately, in this business, I've seen some really amazingly atrocious things that you just can't even believe are real. And mm. I mean, you know, somebody who's had basal cell cancer all over their nose and there's no nose there. So mm. it's just open and you're looking into the body. It's so unreal looking that oh, gosh. I just, the only way to deal with it is to like put it in another place. Yeah. Yeah. Like theater. Like a disassociation mm-hmm. of, sort, of sorts. Yeah. I can't imagine. This is why, you know, you do what you do because I couldn't do that. Right. Um, There's a lot of black humor with uh, the work, you know, you have to. I would imagine. We're going to take a quick break and be right back. Okay, Carol. Yes. Guess what? What? This is the shameless plug section of Way Off the Record. Do you do any other kind of plugs than <laughs> shameless ones? I don't think I know how to plug other than in a shameless manner. <laughs> so the microphones that we're using for Way Off the Record podcast uh, are AKG's um, model number P120. Yeah, P120. And... The interface where both of those microphones are plugged into is the pre-Sonos AudioBox USB 96. And what it ostensibly allows, although I'm still working on some of the audio issues, is I can plug both of those, both of the microphones into the interface and then record separate audio tracks, mine and yours. And the other... By the way, the other bit of Yeah, tech. I was wondering what that is. So this is the Polson 4-channel stereo headphone app. And so oh. one of the other things that I learned pretty quickly is that um, in order for the sound to be as isolated as possible, it's not completely isolated because my voice is picking up on your mic and vice versa, but... If you plug headphones into the mic and then the headphones then get plugged into the Pulsin 4 channel stereo headphone amp. <laughs> I was wondering oh. if it was four or, f- or six channel. No, it, well, Just four channel. I think you could, you, there, there are six channels, but right. like I had to, you know, this is budget girl. I but this to, is a Pulsin 4 channel. Pulsin 4 channel. So, what that does is like basically create like two closed loops, you know, of sound. Um, and again, it's not completely, I mean, you'd have to have like, you know, one of those sound booth kind of things uh-huh. that they have at, right. you know, Pixar or whatever, but this is as good as I can get it. And for the most part it works. Um, so anyway, that's my, that, that, con- that, this concludes the shameless plug section <laughs> of way off the record girl i need sponsors i'm doing what i can do damn will somebody help this man (laughs) (laughs) thank you so carol i understand you have two amusing work stories yes 
I always introduce myself to the patients, and I know that the first day they're not listening to anything, so they're not going to remember my name. Because they're freaked the fuck out. Right. So I always reintroduce myself, you know, for the first week or so, you know, whenever I see them. And I said to this one guy, I said, just think of Christmas, Christmas Carol. (laughs) So, you know, that was it. And by the end of the week, um, I'm walking him back out to his family and, you know, his wife and his daughter. And they said, you know, we're having such an argument at home. We can't, he can't remember you know, we know that you said, think of Christmas, but is your name Noel or Gloria? <laughs> no, really? Yeah, and it's like, well, that's what you get when you have a nice Jewish girl talking about say, Christmas. Right? Oh, my God, that's great. And then there was another patient who we always ask if they want to hear music, you know, while they're in the room. Yeah. And this one guy was like, no, I'm in the music business. I don't want to hear anything. Mm. And I said, oh, well, then do you want me to sing? And he says, well, you can sing if you'd like, you know. I said, okay. So we went back outside the room after we set him up. And over the speaker, I sang, it was around Christmas time, and I sang uh, Santa Baby to him. No. Oh, my God. It was. Can you do a little bit right now? Oh, gosh, I have to even remember what the song is. Santa Baby. Yeah, right. For me. Santa baby. There you go. I don't know. I can't remember the words because what we did was we had the words up, you know, like online so that we had. Oh, yeah, yeah. Cool. So I could sing it, but it was pretty funny. And he remembers you because of that. Oh, I don't know. I never, I don't see those people anymore. I love that. That's great. It was pretty funny. I think that makes the difference, you know, and such a situation um okay so carol we're gonna wrap this up with you talking about your mother in florida right so this is really like a psa for um people a public service announcement Mm -hmm. for everyone out there who has older you know parents who are aging Uh and still have them around Uh, my mother just turned 95 and mm -hmm, what's her name shirley 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 (laughs) and um she actually has a stage name beverly lord she was an actress wait what beverly beverly lord lord oh my Mm -hmm. god and um she always wanted to be an actress you know here at um on vermilia avenue there's a church that was a temple and that's the temple we used to go to when i was growing up Uh and she used to perform in the temple Uh, she did once upon a mattress yeah and a number of other uh, things she was the queen so uh anyway she has dementia and she has macular degeneration and she had fallen and hurt her arm and it never really healed well Mm. And then she had a stroke at some point that affected that same side where she had fallen. So at this point, she really can't even stand by herself. She can't advocate for herself to say, oh, why, you know, I'd like to go outside. Or can I have some ice cream? Or can I have some coffee? Or can I have a cup of tea? She, nothing. And her, is her mind sharp? No, not really. Because no. what happens, I think, is she hears everything and knows everything that's going on Mm -hmm. but 
she can't get the thoughts to her mouth fast oh, enough I to see, come I out. See. Oh. Yeah, very strange. I mean, we were in the car once, and her aide, Almarine, and I were talking about something, and she threw in some comment that was so apropos of what we were speaking about mm. that you wondered, how the hell did she know what was... But she's very aware. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's quite difficult to watch this deterioration, oh. and her heart... She does have a murmur, but, you know, her heart seems to still be good. So, yeah, well, I don't know if it's really knock on wood because she's like, you know, weekend at Bernie's. You know, they dress her up and do mm. her hair and put lipstick on and her nails, and she looks great. And she's in a wheelchair. And mm-hmm. then we go out to the pool and, you know, put sunglasses on her because also because of the dementia and not being able to see well, she keeps her eyes closed most of the time. Oh. So people that are there think that, you know, she's sleeping and she's not. She just has her eyes closed. Mm. So we keep sunglasses on her a lot. So she looks like, you know, Bernie. <laughs> you know? Oh, it's like rolling Charlie around. Oh, no. But um, the thing is, there's a lot of things that they don't tell you with your parents getting older. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I've learned is with any aging parent, if all of a sudden they're acting weird, mm-hmm. they're just off, have them tested for a urinary tract infection. Because really? urinary tract infections affect older people in the most bizarre way. Yeah, they can be sitting at the table and sleeping the whole day. Any behavior that's just so different than what's going on Go think about a um, urinary tract infection so first. Is the UTI a symptom of something greater, or no? It's just um, they, if they're incontinent, they may be sitting in something wet for too long. Mm. Um, if they're incontinent and you know they have no control over their bowels, mm-hmm. you know the bowel could seep forward. You know, men also. I'm talking about women and men. Okay. So even men, um, if they're acting odd, have them checked for a urinary tract infection. And it's one of the most, um, it's, it's very common in mm-hmm. older people that when they're, either if they're running a weird fever or they're acting strange, it's a, a UTI. It's really amazing. That's one thing I learned. And... I would want to share that with everybody. That's good. Because definitely try not to forget that one. Another thing is when they get into the hospital. Mm -hmm. Now, this was in Florida, so you'd have to check what's in the New York area or your state. But they need to be admitted to the hospital for three nights. So, like, my mother was in the ER one night, Mm -hmm. and then she was in a room for another night and then in the room another night so there were three nights and they discharged her but we had to move her from where she was discharged to the rehab because medicare wouldn't cover it oh because that first night was in the er oh i see so they have to be admitted to a room for three nights in order for medicare to pick up the rehab charges so it's an important thing That's great to know. for people to know, you know, don't consider the night in the ER. Right. And right. try to hold out till you're there for three nights if they're going to have to go to rehab. 
so that at least you know but check that out because i don't know if all states are the same yeah or not and um also while they're still lucid you really should have a conversation with them about what they want if they want to be dnr if they have a healthcare proxy you know where things are in the house it's a very tough conversation i used to go down to florida and each time i would go my father would walk me to another drawer and show me, all right, CB, in this drawer, you've got this, mm. you know, and uh, these are the papers here. They have everything paid for. They had their burials paid for. Mm. So all we need to do is make the phone call and go there and, you know, sign some papers and that's it. Um, very helpful. But, you know, freaky. I mean, you know, you're yeah. a young woman yeah. and you go down to see your folks and they start talking to you about their death. And, oh, we're going to get above ground, um, you know, uh, things in a wall. Do you want us to get you one? (laughs) It's like, I don't think so. I don't think it matters where (laughs) I am, you know. People can think, look up at the clouds and think of me. How how long has your mom been in this condition? It's been happening since 2012. So she's been deteriorating Mm -hmm. since then. And each time I go down, it's, it's a little bit more. It's a little bit more. But, um, you know, she, like the last time I was down, she knew who I was, you know. And she didn't know who She you were. did. She did. She did oh, know good. who I was. Okay. So, you know, and then I'll call. I called her the other day. She doesn't answer me on the phone. Mm. You know, so, you know, every day is different. Yeah. But um, it's, uh, it's just, she's in a hospice. Oh, that's something else I should let you all know. Mm-hmm. Hospice. Don't get fooled by the word hospice. They have different levels of hospice. Okay. So she's been in hospice for a year now in comfort care. And what that allows her is to have a hospital bed so Mm -hmm. that we have aides that take care of her. Mm -hmm. And because she needs to be changed, she can't do anything for herself. It's easier for them to get her onto the bed and raise the bed up so that they don't have to bend over and hurt their backs. Yeah. So what are the levels of hospice care? Well, I just know that there's comfort care and crisis care. So crisis care is the hospice care that everybody really thinks of that, when it's really that's end where you of go life. To die. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. But right. um, she's in it in her house, and oh. it entitled. Oh. Yeah. I mean, she's in her apartment. She's an in independent living. And we're not wow. moving her from there until we have no more money left to pay for the AIDS. You so know? comfort care and crisis care hospice are right. two different things. Different things. That's comfort care know. allows her to go about her day. She goes down to entertainment. At, oh. at one point, she was still going down to the uh, dining room, mm. but now she doesn't. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, it allows, they, they give certain supplies and it allows it to be a little easier for the people that are taking care of her. Right. You know? Right. So, um, you know, and they brought pillows and wedges so that, you know, they turn her from one side and can put that behind her so she doesn't roll back. Right. So she doesn't get bed sores, you know, and things like that. And they get her out of the bed every day, dressed. So she has breakfast at the table every day. She could be bedridden. And I right. and I know I know that people that don't have this kind of care and don't have, you know, the money for AIDS, mm-hmm. you know, it's terrible what they go through because they get bed sores, they're dirty, you know, it's these smelly people that you smell on the subway. 
Right. It's because they don't have people to help them. Oh, man. You know, it's really pretty sad. But... Um, this is great information, though. Yeah. Because I didn't know any of this as well. Yeah, it's very important that you talk to them, though. I mean, my father picked out the clothes he wanted to be buried in. You know, we had a whole conversation about the shirt. I said, well, I always liked you in a pink shirt, you know. <laughs> so, I mean, we became, you know, we made it funny. Yeah, yeah. So, um, as difficult as it was. But it is important to talk about that stuff while they still have their minds, you know. So. Thank you. Cheers to, to you, um, my dear neighbor my fellow concierge with uh, packages. This has been really good, I think. Thank you for doing this. Oh, thank I you. I appreciate it. It's been fun. You'll come back. Okay. Right. Bye. Bye. So I want to add a little uh, perspective um, from this episode. Carol's advice is very sound and should be heeded. However, it depends on one's parents' medical situation. In my case, my mother had a stroke um, in the middle of the afternoon and was uh, rushed to the local hospital in Albany. And because it was a brain injury, it's very tricky to kind of make decisions because the actual brain surgeons were not sure what my mother would wake up to, what her condition would be. And so faced with that, you know, they gave us the options that they they could, but they were not clear about what situation my mother would be in if she woke up. Um, so I just have to say, like, um, DNRs and healthcare proxies are important and everyone should do them but in my case even though my family had those things in place when it gets into you know different siblings and different e emotions of the siblings it's not so clear-cut so um just keep that in mind and i think this is a really important episode and i'm really glad that we did this. Thank you. Just talk to your siblings. It makes a difference. Thank you. We Off the Record has been written, edited, and produced by Scott Ambrosino, also produced by Christian Hernandez. Our music is by Marie Tree and Forrest Harrison Gerke. We are available wherever you listen to your podcasts. And also drop us a line on social media. We can be reached at WOTRPod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening.